There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. At Scotiabank, we know how important thriving businesses are for the strength of our economy. Our team of experienced advisors across the country can provide you with tailored advice, leading products, and valuable resources to help achieve all your financial goals. We're here for every future. Let's get started today. Visit us at scotiabank.com slash smallbusiness. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, where we talk to Canada's most innovative and entrepreneurial leaders and changemakers. I'm your host, Rick Spence, and as a business journalist, editor, and entrepreneur, I've learned what makes Canadian startups special, successful, and scalable. Join me every Tuesday at 10 a.m. ET to hear news stories of Canadian entrepreneurs and learn about the moments that mattered most on their journeys. The Startup Canada podcast is a production of Startup Canada. Don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have Mark Bishop and Matt Hornberg from Marble Media in Toronto. Mark Bishop and Matt Hornberg are partners and co-CEOs at video production company Marble Media, accomplished entrepreneurs, brand builders, and trusted media industry advocates. They've grown Marble Media into one of Canada's leading independent production, distribution, and digital media companies. Mark Bishop serves as executive producer across Marble Media's portfolio of television and digital media properties, and he leads the company's management and strategic growth. Like his heroes Jim Henson and Walt Disney, Mark is a big believer in the power of imagination. Matt Hornberg leads creative development and production for the company's original TV and interactive divisions, including its recent push into prime time. A fan of all things Star Wars, Matt's love of creative storytelling, big worlds and strong characters has put Marvel Media on the map as a key industry player, bringing great ideas to your screens in original ways. Mark and Matt, welcome to the show. Hi, Rick. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. First question we always ask our guests here, because we put the listeners first, is what are the most important things that you hope entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? Matt, why don't you start? Uh, sure. Well, this is Matt speaking. I mean, I think for me, what's so important for entrepreneurs to understand, certainly in listening to what we're going to talk about today, is that you're not alone. Uh, I think it's so easy to feel that like you're very isolated when you are taking so much risk in being your own boss and kind of putting yourself out on the line. Um, and, uh, you know, I think once uh, what we've come to learn, what we'll talk a lot about today is that there's power in sharing your stories and learning from others who are in a very similar boat. And my other thing would be about passion and how passion is so important in anything you do, whether you're selling TV shows like we are or selling colored paper clips. Um, everything is valid when you're an entrepreneur, uh, but you've got to be passionate about it. And we'll talk a lot about why you need to be passionate about what you do as an entrepreneur. Mark Bishop, anything to add? 
Yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, I think that that passion to Matt's point and really that belief in yourself and belief in whatever you are uh, developing, whatever you're taking out, you have to love it. You have to believe it. You have to be willing to push that boulder up the hill uh, because it's also a ton of hard work, uh, you know, and, you know, we often talk about the roller coaster analogy and as a theme park nut, um, you know, I use a lot of uh, theme park analogies, but we say every day is is like a roller coaster where you have, you know, the highs and then you've got the lows and you got to hold on tight. Uh, and if you can hold on long enough, then you know it's going to come back up again on the other side so it really takes that that commitment uh and that that idea of being able to look down the line to hold on tight to that roller coaster and know that with hard work uh you know your your passion and your drive will pay off all right you guys sound like real entrepreneurs tell us about marble media i mean sometimes we tend to think maybe show business is a different thing from you know the most businesses, other businesses, commodity businesses. Um, but I presume it's uh, it, it's not that much different. As you say, you were all selling something and you guys are selling uh, TV shows, if that's still what we're calling them. Um, tell us about Marble Media and tell us some of the shows that, uh, that you make that people might have heard of or hopefully actually seen. Sure. Well, this is Matt. I can, I can start. Uh, we're now entering our 20th year of business. And um, so over 20 years, we've made a lot of shows that we're uh, both really passionate and excited and proud of. Uh, in the early days, we did a lot of kids shows. Um, one of our first shows was a show called DeafPlanet.com, which was a really robust TV series and website in American Sign Language for uh, for the deaf community and deaf children in particular. Uh, and then it evolved to another show called This Is Daniel Cook, um, um, which was a show that featured a little boy named Daniel just going out in the world and doing interesting things. And we had tremendous success with that franchise where we sold it to Disney in the States and then uh, over 100 countries around the world. And then over the years, we've done other kids and family shows, like a show called Splat-A-Lot, which is a physical medieval game show that we've now sold in over 120 countries and multiple times into the U.S. And then more recently, we've been branching more into primetime, having produced a number of shows for Netflix, um, for a show that we've been had tremendous success for uh, called Blown Away, which is a glass-blowing competition show. Uh, it's had a lot of critical praise, uh, particularly in the U.S. Uh, and then more locally on CBC, a show that just recently launched called Race Against the Tide, uh, which is a sand, uh, sand sculpting competition series. Uh, and also another uh, kids and family uh, scripted show, Comedy, which just launched on CBC Gem called Overlord and the Underworlds, and that's been having great um, great traction all around the world as well, launching in multiple territories. So for any of our shows, you know, we, we make them here in Canada. We, they're original ideas that either we have created or other people have brought to us, um, and we're finding ways to finance them and make them here in Canada, but ultimately sell them uh, internationally. And just on that point, I think that that's something that a lot of other industries have obviously embraced as well. I mean, Canada, we have an incredible talent base uh, within this space and a long track record of making quality, you know, screen-based content. Uh, and then, you know, really importantly, to Matt's point, exporting that around the world, sometimes as a sale, you know, to markets all over the world, sometimes as co-productions, working with other countries and being able to leverage, you know, funds from other places, but always with a view to exporting. Uh, often, you know, especially in recent years with 
the real U.S. Uh, strategy that we've had in place at Marble to work with American uh, networks and partners. Uh, because again, we're just seeing again how global uh, you know the the industry is, how many new platforms are coming on board, which we can talk about uh, today in this conversation. You know, but also how important that you know that is to be able to bring those partners on board while still bringing them back to creating and uh, you know producing content here in Canada that we know Canadians love. Uh, and that we're really proud of the fact that we can then take an export all over the world. Right. Tell us about how you guys met. How did you become partners and what did each of you do before Marble Media? Yeah, well, good question. It's Mark speaking. Uh, again, Matt and I went to uh, to Ryerson University in Toronto uh, for the radio and television arts program. Uh, and it's a really interesting program because, of course, it pulls from, you know, students from all over the world uh, to come to this this program uh, and everyone with a, you know, a shared love and passion, you know, probably from each of us. I know I can can speak to the fact that I, you know, used to run television camps for kids and, you know, had my own DJ company and all of that. And Matt ran camps for kids. And, you know, you're all sort of the, the, the stars in your own small towns. I grew up in, in uh, just outside of St. John, New Brunswick, uh, you know, Matt outside of Fergus, Ontario, you know, and coming uh, to the big city city of Toronto uh, to to uh, you know find out that there are people like you who share a passion for the media industry. We both happen to live on the same floor, actually, in first year, the 13th floor, lucky number 13 at Ryerson, uh, and then really just found a synergy of our partnership of starting to work together, um, you know, and really that that fit, right? And we'll talk a lot about that partnership and how important that is to find like-minded individuals. But, you know, for us, it was really clear, uh, you know, both a deep-rooted friendship and a passion for the industry and for doing things differently. I mean, in third year, you know, we Matt was uh, directing this comedy show with big ambitions for you know how video could be played on screen and synchronized and lights and sound and dancers and of course everyone said it can't be done. So of course I was like, absolutely, let's find a way to make it happen. Let's make that vision happen, and it did. In fourth year, we got more people together and did a big uh, you know live event as well. So again, it's just. You know, you find that synergy of your partnership early on and you just know, right? You just know it's a good fit. You know, you complement each other's skill sets. Uh, and we're lucky as well, too, because to that point, you know, you know, 20 plus years now working together, you know, we're still best friends um, and having a ton of fun building and growing the company. But it came from that solid foundation in those early days of, you know, celebrating each other's strengths and, uh, you know, having a lot of fun doing it. Right. How do you know you've made it in the TV business? I mean, is there a point where you say, hey this is, this is going to work. I mean, my understanding of the entertainment business is that uh, you have to come up with a lot of ideas in order to get a network or a studio to, to, to pick up on it and support you. So it's like, like many other businesses, it's a, it's failure after failure until you break through. But even that doesn't necessarily say you'll ever break through again. So, so do you guys think you've made it or when do you think you will? <laughs> uh, this this is Matt speaking. Um, I don't know. I think as an entrepreneur, you're you're always sort of worried about your next thing, right? And uh, I think you know there's something certainly um, a common expression in our industry is you're only as good as your last show, and uh, that is true. You know, like it, it's you you always want to remain current in your ideas. You have to be in the zeitgeist of the types of stories that uh, people want to watch. Um, 
And so we have to be really mindful of that. <laughs> I think we've all seen as audience members shows are like, "Ee, that wasn't so good," or movies, uh, and then that's you know, sort of where that is as producers. So, um, but you know, saying that those failures that you sometimes have too, you know, you learn use those as learning opportunities. And uh, we've all read um, classic stories of entrepreneurs through the ages who have had failure. Our, you know, and then had tremendous success. And uh, you need to have those failures to have the success. You need to, to learn from that. Um, yeah, have we made it? <laughs> I don't know. It's pretty interpretive. Uh, I, I think we're really proud of um, of our accomplishments. Uh, you know, there's been certainly some career highlights, like um, going to um, and having uh, mentioned earlier the show This Is Daniel Cook, which was about a real boy, Daniel. And, you know, we flew down and met Oprah Winfrey because he was featured on that. Uh, and, that, you know, that that's pretty cool. We've been nominated for an Emmy. That was pretty cool. Um, you know, and, and just to be traveling around the world and then to turn on the TV in whatever country we, we are in and then to see one of our shows that's been made pretty powerful like we we definitely are in an interesting industry to uh to influence change and there's a tremendous responsibility with that too um which we certainly don't take lightly right you mentioned the show splat a lot earlier which i confess i haven't seen but you said you've sold it in 120 countries or something um is it possible that some assets for a TV producer are, you know, evergreen that you can sell it over and over again, especially maybe with kids programming, since we seem to come up with a new generation of kids every five years. Um, <laughs> do, are, are there evergreen assets that sort of like Disney serve as, as your vault that, that, that give you a little bit of uh, protection against the cold? Well, I think it's a good, really good question, Rick. I mean, I think for us, it's Mark speaking. Uh, I mean, again, we have an international sales arm to our company, which is, again, based in, in both London, England, and here in Toronto, uh, called Distribution 360, right? And it's really about, you know, driving value from our assets. And it's all, you know, again, but mainly marble titles, you know, but but we do have a lot of third-party producers that we work and represent as well. Um, and it's everything from, you know, the music library that's contained within the shows to the actual shows themselves to the idea of the format. Format, uh, which is obviously a big thing we've seen a lot now internationally about people localizing versions. Um, so I think it's about being um, adaptive to kind of seizing those opportunities. And to your point, absolutely. I mean, what's critical for us is owning the IP. Uh, and by owning our own IP and assets, then we can leverage them in different ways uh, so that we have something, to your point, that we can reboot. Or as Matt pointed out with Splatalot, I mean, we've sold it now in the U.S., I think, four times. Um, and so that's, again, a renewable um, mm -hmm. asset that really truly is evergreen. Now, of course, there are things because we do primarily live action that over a period of time, you might look at some of the stuff we did 20 years ago and say, well, that's not really in fashion anymore in terms of what they're, you know, what might be wearing, you know, or a technology changed. Or a few of our early shows were in standard definition before moving to high definition. Uh, but four years in, we've switched our whole plant over to high definition as an example, which I know sounds so foreign now, but so it means that those initial, you know, standard def ones are very hard to sell. But again, then you put them up on YouTube channels and monetize them in different ways. So you know, again, it's about, you know, protecting your assets uh, and looking for opportunities and sometimes finding other ancillary benefits. So, for example, you know, when we talk about Splat a lot. That was really about building a massive hub set, which we did as a massive castle, uh, 
uh, on a property that we were able to purchase north of Toronto. So we now, you know, from having done that show 12 years ago, we have a 50 acre back lot that the company owns where we can do other shows and we can build other sets and and create other opportunities. So it's, you know, sometimes it's directly, you know, programmatic. Uh, sometimes it's the, you know, ancillary opportunity like rights monetization or music, um, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, other values uh, that we can have, you know, like being able to to uh, purchase property. But it's always looking at that. And look, you never know. I mean, like any anyone, this is a, you know, a hit driven business and we always, you know, race at the hit and want every show to be a hit, um, you know, but at the same point, you know, you acknowledge that there may be other ancillary benefits that are really important to to be thinking about. You guys make it sound like running a business can be almost as creative as, you know, putting together a TV show. So I've got to ask you, each of you, Matt and Mark, where would you rather be right now? Would you rather be running the business and making those those creative decisions there or, you know, on set behind the camera, making magic happen on TV? Uh, well, this is Matt speaking. I mean, I, I think with, you know, and maybe this is, sounds like I'm dodging your question, but I think the beauty of what we do for a living is that we do both. Uh, and we have that privilege of being able to do both in a, a way that's quite fluid uh, and as an entrepreneur have sort of full control of, of that, that fate. So, yeah, there are some days where Mark or I are on set and making creative decisions. And we're also on set making creative business decisions, uh, whether it be deal making, partnership building, um, what have you. And I, I think that's what's really certainly unique to this industry. And without question, there's just as much creativity in managing our business as there is on what's seen on screen. Um, maybe even more so. I think making shows in Canada is a much different model than making shows, you know, physically in, in LA uh, because we don't have the same studio system. We are the studio and we have to be very resourceful of how we finance shows. It's not just from a broadcaster. Broadcaster may only give us 10, 20 percent of, of um, the, you know, the cost of making the show. So how do you come up with the rest of that money? And that's, I think that's where the creativity really comes in, uh, in getting our shows off the ground and finding unique ways of, of making money. Wow. Did he leave anything for you to say, Mark? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, so well said, Matt. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, against Mark, I'll just add, add a couple of things to that because I, I completely agree, surprisingly, <laughs> or not surprisingly. Uh, you know, I think the, the beauty of having been, you know, been running this company with Matt, uh, he and I for 20 years, is that you, you know, find that nice cadence of being able to, um, you know, we often talk about the big picture and the small picture. So being able to do, uh, we were on set yesterday morning, very early, uh, you know, for something that that shooting outside of Toronto, which was great to be there, um, you know, and do that and then both of us you know had to quickly jump on to other calls uh, with other broadcasters and then you know we co-chaired a, a, a town hall meeting it's not that glamorous i mean i was sitting in the tim hortons parking lot on, on zoom and you know he was on, on on set of one of our other shows uh so finding that um that balance but i think you know, it's, uh, you know, we're really, really lucky in the way that we've built an incredible team as well. So it's, yeah, Matt and I can talk about all of these things and, and are so proud of what we're doing, but we also have an incredible
Marple team you know, at Marple Media and Distribution 360 as our core team that can you know, drive things and come up with ideas and execute on all of this. And then when we go into production, of course, we then hire a whole other you know, 100, 150 people to work on the individual shows and bring them to life. So, you know, again, it's always that exciting thing. I, I, I personally love going to set, especially the first day of shooting any of our shows, because you have that moment of realizing that all of those people who showed up today are there because you had a passion and you were you know, willing to work hard and will this thing to happen. And I think that, uh, you know, it just speaks volumes in terms of how hard it is to make these things happen, but how satisfying it is when you can, you know, see that and see that you move that boulder up the hill and now it's being realized. Uh, but at the same point, then you probably have to jump onto a call and deal with something else. So I think it's, you know, again, when I talked before about the roller coaster, that's what it is, right? It's just appreciating those highs and knowing that there's going to be a balancing act. And running a company can be really creative because ultimately Matt and I are controlling our own destiny. If we see an opportunity and we want to pivot, we do that, right? We've done that time and time again, uh, which lets us pick really interesting projects, partners and people to work with. Uh, and I think that's, you know, again, a big part of our success is that, you know, we, we you know, have that great foundation, um, but we can seize new opportunities uh, when they come up. I think you've just ca- encapsulated all of entrepreneurship in your comment there, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I think we all do it in order to be able to pick our projects, to have that control of our own destinies, and to be able to make sure that the work we want to do is the work we actually do do. So it sounds like you guys have made it work, but you also really understand uh, uh, the, the mindset of other entrepreneurs as well. One last creativity uh, question. Um, you mentioned sort of feeling the zeitgeist for, you know, what kind of show do people want to watch now? And I got to ask you, um, for those who haven't seen Blown Away, I think it's on Netflix, and yeah. there's two seasons of competitive glass blowing, which is so much more interesting than it sounds. <laughs> so where did that concept come from to say, hey, we could make a survivor-type reality show, have one person gets kicked off the island every week, passions flaring, glass breaking. Where did that idea come from? Uh, blown Away, this is Matt speaking, uh, Blown Away was uh, an idea that was generated in-house here uh, within our company. We uh, had, under the leadership of our development uh, person at the time for Factual, we were jamming on a lot of different ideas, and it was an idea that was pitched by an intern. Um, and, you, you know, that's a great testament. You never know where the next great idea is going to come from. Uh, we knew, we, we could feel that there was a trend in which people would want to see process-driven um, uh, on, on camera and something that wasn't a cooking or a baking show. Um, and, you know, obviously with reality competition, you have inherent stakes um, and you have inherent, like, people with, like, very specific talent. So we did a fair bit of research on it. Um, and then we cut together uh, a sizzle and put together a deck, which is often how we sell shows, um, and flew down to LA and pitched it to Netflix. And that's that's how we sold it. Um, and got a Canadian broadcaster on board as a partner. Um, and yeah, I don't think, you know, it, Mark was talking in, in earlier about really always wanting to find a head and it's always what we're trying to do but you never really know i mean it is lightning in a bottle and uh and audiences at the end of the day are the ones going to tell you whether it's going to be successful or not um but we certainly have been overwhelmed by um the uh, amount of high viewership on that show and the amount of critical success we've uh, received for it uh, i think it also is sort of a testament you know when we're working in a world of global streamers now um and so you have a much larger audience base and you know if you think of 
the Squid Game as being a recent example on Netflix, of course. Um, you know, something, you know, any of these things feel very niche, you know, and this is a specific show coming out of Asia. Um, and, um, yeah, you know, whether I'm not sure how many people watched it in its uh, in English dub versus in its uh, native language, but you just don't know where the next thing is going to be. And a niche and something that is very specific, has a very clear point of view, is often what is successful now. And so we're always looking to work with um, people that have fresh ideas, that have a very strong POV, uh, often with, you know, looking for diverse voices as well to ensure that they have a platform to be heard. Uh, all of these things are what excite us and what we believe are, is the trend that we're going to keep seeing for a while of what audiences really crave. Let's get back to talking about business. Um, you, Matt, you just mentioned the idea you never know where good ideas will come from. And uh, I'm aware that Marvel Media um, is very proud of its commitment to employee development. Specifically, you do a lot of pairing of junior talent with senior talent to, to, to foster the next generation of creatives. So I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about that and some of the uh, success that you've had with, uh, with, with pairing up junior and senior talent in order to create you know, a continuous pipeline of talent and hopefully get those ideas bubbling up sooner. Absolutely. I mean, I'll start with it. It's Mark uh, to say that, again, as Matt said, I mean, we have a very active internship program uh, and have with the company, you know, since it's very early days, because we really believe in nurturing that next generation of talent, you know, and finding different ways. Sometimes it's in a Matt and I, you know, consult uh, with colleges and universities to making sure programs are, you know, more tailored and appropriate for our industry and sit on those advisory uh, boards and committees, because we think it's really important. I mean, again, to nurture um, new talent coming into the industry and to see how that, that uh, you know, talent can help to grow, um, you know, and eventually, you know, do what we did uh, and actually build their own ideas. Uh, so, again, we have an active internship program right across every different division of the company. Um, and then kind of as part of that as well, too, we often, again, really ask the entire team, including the interns, to really look and, and stretch to think and, and come up with ideas. Uh, and we do have a, a, a program that's as part of that. There's a paid component to it as well, that if your idea moves forward uh, into either development or, or production, uh, that you're compensated, you know, both in credit and financial. And that's a great incentive, you know, again, for individuals, new talent, as Matt pointed out earlier, as, you know, interns to kind of come up with ideas and, and, you know, to really have your game on and be thinking. Because, again, you never know where that idea is going to come from, but we want to hear from a lot of different voices. Uh, and then I would say as well, the other thing that we're doing, um, you know, we've announced some and we'll be continuing to announce more later this year, you know, is we're looking again for that, you know, next generation uh, storytellers, uh, that mentorship, and as Matt pointed out before, to hear from more diverse voices. I mean, we've made a lot of investments in our shows uh, so far, and there's a lot to do, a lot for our company to do, a lot for the industry to do. And that's about nurturing new talent and diverse voices. And so I think you'll see, especially on the scripted side of our company coming out, you know, announcements that, of really looking at that and saying, how do we nurture that that talent how do we find ways of pairing that talent with, with established talent and structuring deals such that uh, you know we're able to provide that mentorship with the goal that you know example that person could be the the creator and sort of the number two in in the writer's room in season one and then by season two or season three they're running the show on their own once they have the experience working with an established showrunner so we've invested in those areas we've um, talked about that publicly and we'll have more of those type of examples coming out this year because again fundamentally we just believe it's really important to do 
That sounds very cool. Yeah, it's bad speaking. If I could just add something as well, I, I think a trend that we've Mark and I have also seen in our own staff, and maybe possibly a note that other entrepreneurs uh, see in their own organizations, is it's not always about the experience. I mean, without a doubt, you need to have experienced people on your team, but you need to find that blend of people with the right attitude as well, um, and that often comes from uh, potentially a younger generation or a less experienced generation. That that just has a hungry passion and a thirst to learn and has a can-do attitude, you know, highly optimistic, driven. I mean, these are all great characteristics um, that, that you need because so much of, you know, creative deal-making um, is, is requires thinking out of the box. Um, and, you know, all of these characteristics I'm describing, uh, that's what being an entrepreneur is about. So you end up actually finding people within your organization that are, they themselves are almost entrepreneurs or intrapreneurs, as we sort of call them. Um, and they can really help you drive your organization. Um, and we always are trying to like, where are they in our organization and how do we foster them? And someday maybe they're even a succession plan. We'll wow. see. How would you suggest other entrepreneurs get started in building sort of a pairing program like you have, where you put senior and junior people together and, and, and try and get them to you know, learn from each other. How do you, how do you, how do you get started doing something like that? Yeah. I mean, I think it's about, it's Mark speaking again, it's just about starting to do it by identifying you know, where there are, you know, gaps in the marketplace. Right. And you find that when you start to, you know, uh, hire people for a certain role or a certain department and you think, okay, you know, why am I not seeing any fresh voices? Why am I not, you know, challenged on a, you know, a diversity perspective in terms of seeing, you know, uh, new perspectives. Uh, and then you say, okay, well, I, you know, as a company, uh, as you said, regardless of industry, we have to make an investment and we have to say, okay, it is really important to us uh, in our business uh, that we're we're going to find a way to nurture that next generation of talent. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a huge thing and put out a press release and, you know, hire 20 people or anything like that. You start small, right? And you just say, okay, as we move forward, we're going to take a concerted effort, you know, and let's do do one pairing, right? And let's, let's you know, try and see what this opportunity is. And because and, you really need to see results, of course, as well. We don't have uh, <laughs> unlimited amounts of money to invest in this. But as you believe in the future, and you see the, that opportunity, um, you know, start small and, you know, start by by something you can invest in uh, and then really, you know, be, be able to move that forward. I'm curious what each of you would say, what has been the, the sort of toughest obstacle that Marvel Media has had to overcome in its 20-year journey? Ooh, it's a very good um, question. Yeah, Matt speaking. Uh, I would say, you know, even though we've always been international Focused. We've definitely, for many years, relied on our relationships with the Canadian broadcasters as being the instigators, the the, the trigger for a project to start. So there was, um, I don't remember how many years ago, I guess, just as the industry was starting to be disrupted by the early days of Netflix, um, where uh, just that model had to change. It needed to change. And we we weren't prepared for it. A lot of our peers and uh, were not prepared for it, and uh, and it caught us certainly off 
uh, off guard. Uh, so we very quickly uh, worked very hard to reorganize our ideas, our development slate to be very uh, focused into pitching to some of those global streamers. Uh, and it's, it's really helped. But there was definitely a, sort of a year that I remember. It was a dark year um, where we just didn't have that same level of uh, success of getting shows off the ground. And we had to kind of tighten our belts and, and pivot, really, as an organization because our industry was going through uh, sort of a digital revolution that, of course, so many other industries had gone through previously to the TV one. Um, but it caught somehow caught us off guard and everyone else around us as well. Because I think, again, it's Mark speaking, I think like a lot of industries, I mean, we do have a lot of government regulation, especially in Canada, you know, around the media industry, around, you know, contribution agreements from broadcasters and funding models and tax credits and so on, which is a, a great incentive, you know, to again, to be able to manufacture content uh, here in Canada right across the country. But it's also challenging in this world that obviously things change, right? And in any regulated environment, obviously watching that and seeing that happen. And I think the point that Matt's speaking about is, again, when there was a change in regulation uh, our industry is regulated by the body the CRTC uh, and so that that body made made changes to policies which changed the way that that broadcasters in Canada would invest in content and what they had to do uh, and so that was a, a very fundamental shift that sometimes can happen overnight and you spend a lot of time obviously lobbying and you know working with industry associations and so on but then you know what you really have to do is see the writing on the wall as and then pivot right which again is true of any industry right of seeing that understanding the role government plays uh, in any of our businesses, uh, understanding the role that you can play as obviously being outspoken and, you know, an active participant, you know, for change. But at the same point, understanding that it's not about always looking in the rearview mirror and trying to hold on to where the industry has come from. Everyone, you know, a digital revolution impacts all of us. So as regulations change and, and whether consumer habits or regulations uh, adjust of looking to say, okay, how does my business leap forward, right? How do I um, you know, ad adapt to this, seize those opportunities, because um, it's not going backwards, right? We're not going to put the genie back in the bottle. But at the same point, how do we create an opportunity uh, for that? And it's scary, right? And it can happen overnight. But I think the more you can be listening and responsive to what's out there, you know, try and impact change whenever possible, but really have a forward looking view about how to you pivot and seize those opportunities. Um, because again, the, <laughs> the only thing constant we know in this world is change. <laughs> Absolutely. Resilience. That's the entrepreneur's favorite word. Yes. <laughs> I'm wondering what you guys see as the future of television or video now. Is conventional broadcast television dead or, you know, is, is, is there still life in scripted drama or, or sitcoms? Um, is Sandcastle building the future of television? Is Netflix the future of television? What's it look like? Uh, it's Mark speaking. Uh, there's actually a good book called Television is the New Television, right? And it, it talks about this, right? And because of the fact that, you know, people worry all the time about, okay, television is dead. And it's like, well, no, just, if we look at the numbers, audiences are consuming more screen-based content than ever before, you know, especially, you know, coming out of the pandemic and looking at the growth of things like co-viewing content of families watching content together, the advent of all of these streaming platforms. Every week we're reading about a new one, um, you know, companies scaling uh, to create more content because audience want to consume it. Uh, and so again, that's for us a really exciting opportunity as obviously as we continue to grow and build the business that there are new buyers available all the time because ultimately audiences want 
premium content. Uh, so it's, it is actually a really exciting um, opportunity as we continue to grow and build the business to figure out what that is. You know, and sometimes it is, you know, straightforward, uh, you know, in terms of they will specify it, but rarely, most times it's, again, they're looking for something noisy and buzzy. As Matt mentioned, when we first pitched Blown Away, you know, there wasn't a call for glass blowing reality shows, um, but there's a call for noisy, buzzy shows that are going to connect with audiences. And so I think that's where there's a real opportunity and more platforms, more global platforms to make great content and sell it all around the world. So the answer is all of the above. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Television is not going away. You may watch it in a different way, but um, again, it doesn't really matter. It's it's really about, you know, the, the ability to watch screen-based content on whatever device is appropriate. Um, and it's going to be a lot of different things. Matt, I got to ask you, what's the secret of making a partnership work? Uh, yeah, I think partnership is like any really healthy relationship, right? Whether it be a, a marriage or a friendship or two business partners uh, making TV for 20 years. I mean, ultimately, it's it's founded in the essentials of communication, uh, respect, um, and trust. And if you don't have those things, it doesn't matter what kind of partnership agreement you've crafted or what have you. If you don't have those sort of three pillars, you're probably going to be in trouble. Um, and I, I think, you know, people look at our relationship, Mark and I, and they're like, wait, wait a minute, you guys have managed a company, all the ups and downs over those 20 years. And which we haven't really talked about on this call, we're also best friends. Uh, we spend a lot of time when not in the office, um, just doing social things together with between our two families, and we really love it. Um, and so, you know, I think it comes back to just sort of those fundamentals. And uh, you know, I, I think those are just about a human connection uh, and just the main things that you need to have a healthy relationship with someone. And then, of course, then you then you have. Uh, if you think of it as building a house, you need to have a really, really strong foundation. And then with that strong foundation, you can put story after story after story on top of it and make it super big and populated full of really cool things. But if you don't have that foundation, everything's going to crumble. And so we're really, we're really proud of the foundation we have in our relationship. Mark, was there ever a time when that relationship was really tested? No, I mean, I think, uh, again, Mark speaking, uh, you know, I think to Matt's point, it's really about having open communication and constantly having a dialogue. And I think it's one of the things we realized as we, you know, you kind of go through different stages of the company when you grow and scale and take on new opportunities. And if you're not careful, as Matt pointed out, just like in any relationship, if every, you know, I'm off doing one thing and Matt's off doing something else and we don't have enough touch points to, to check in together, there's opportunity for confusion, frustration, any of those number of things. So then you talk about it, you figure it out. We did some Thing where we decided, okay, let's just, you know, create a big office uh, that both of us share and let's put our desks together, right? And let, we'll have a couch, we'll have a meeting space, we'll have a whiteboard and all of that, just so that we can, you know, be in the proximity. Now, of course, you know, COVID changed that, but, uh, you know, again, we look forward to kind of getting, getting backed in that space because, again, it was one of those things that we did and, you know, right away you start to see that, you know, opportunity to overhear things and to think and strategize and all of that. So I think it's just about, yeah, again, having open communication and talking uh, and making sure that that's a foundational part of your partnership. Uh, because I'll just say as well, like it's one of the things we talk to other colleagues, both in our industry and others, and that, you know, definitely people look at uh, with envy because, again, we have a, such a strong partnership and friendship. And I, I would think, especially for people who are trying to do it alone, you know, entrepreneurship can be a very lonely road. Uh, there are a lot of challenges. Uh, and so it's just, again, so much more enjoyable, supportive, um, and I feel productive to do it together because you're actually celebrating um, together and you're also facing the challenges together. More enjoyable and more productive to do it together. I think that's a great, 
uh, way to leave that. Um, so many people think of entrepreneurs as lone wolves, and many of them are. Um, but yeah, if you can find a partner, uh, then I think that's the, the that's a pretty superior way to go. Were you guys looking for part for partners, work partners? Back in the day, at residence in Ryerson, did you know you were looking for partners? It's Matt speaking. I don't. I don't. I'm not sure. To be honest, I can't think back that far. But <laughs> I do. I do know, as Mark said at the top of this um, interview, that you know both he and I have always had that entrepreneurial spirit ever since we were probably in grade nine and ten. It, it's been. It's been very evident. So um, yeah, we probably just were very attracted to each other's same sensibility and energy. I don't think we, you know, we hadn't written written out a business plan saying, oh, "Now I'm going to meet my business partner for life here at Ryerson." I mean, that's fate. Um, but you got to listen to, you know, I guess you have to listen to what you're sort of uh, asking yourself and what you need, and and just kind of run with it. Uh, I think to build off what Mark was saying too, um, you know, it. it it is can can be very isolating, and and you're absolutely right. Um, you know, often entrepreneurs are sort of seen as lone 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 wolves. But I I think you know you can also tr maybe find support um, in other entrepreneurs. I think that's what we also found, not just in each other, but um, uh, meeting with other entrepreneurs, even people that are not in our industry. You just you recognize very quickly the patterns, and I'm sure you find it too from all the entrepreneurs that you interview. Um, there's just consistent patterns. In running a business and you start to realize very quickly when you share those war stories with others you're like oh okay oh, that, that, that's very common that's that's you know i'm not this isn't weird i'm not doing something wrong this is what it's like running a company and and so it gives you tools to cope uh, and to be more effective leaders and visionaries as you run a company right and that's absolutely true i found that as first a writer about uh, entrepreneurship and now doing the podcasts um a lot of entrepreneurs don't really think they can learn from people outside their own their, their their own businesses, and it's important for me we break down that that bias and remind you that we can all learn from everybody. And what really matters is that can-do attitude, and that creative spirit. So, in the spirit of that, final question for each of you, uh, Mark, you can go first. What is the most actionable piece of advice that you'd like to give our entrepreneurial listeners that they can put into effect in their business today? Uh, again, it's Mark. Great question, Rick. Uh, you know, I think I would say uh, again, be be bold uh, in what you're thinking. You know, have a deep passion. Make sure that passion is there, um, and really be willing to to fight the good fight and believe in what you're doing. Um, you know, because I think it's it it is there's so much opportunity, um, but you really have to uh, be committed. Uh, we talk to young entrepreneurs all the time and ask that question, like, are you ready for how hard this is going to be? Um, and just making sure that you have that that conviction to to know, and you don't know until you're in it. Um, but then, if, so if I would say that you know, and as you pointed out before, asking for help and having more conversations because I think it's one thing that we you know have not done and not just our industry you know we, we don't spend enough time looking at other industries and we often think oh our industry is just so unique and you know one's else is going to understand it and for sure every single industry has unique nuances definitely but there are some fundamentals uh, that are just so consistent across businesses especially from people that have built and grown businesses and the more you can talk with you know established entrepreneurs people that have had great success people that have had failures people that work in different industries you'll see the commonality 
personality and you'll feel that support in that network. And then you have that network of people to to call on. I, I have a CEO uh, advisory group that I, I participate in, you know, once a month getting together with CEOs from other companies uh, that are not in our industry at all and just sharing more stories. And you quickly realize, again, uh, you know, as you were speaking about before, uh, as Matt was touching on, the commonality, right? And so I think it's really important to, you know, acknowledge that and invest time in those relationships. Mark, what's the name of the group, the entrepreneurial group that you meet with? It's called the Pierce Group, which is part of the Insight Council. Sorry, say again? Pierce Group, P-I-E-R-C-E. Oh, Pierce Group, okay. Yeah. Part of the Insight Council. All right, excellent. Matt, last word is yours. Yeah, I would say, you know, for any entrepreneur, you know, when you are when you own your own thing, it's really an extension of you. And I think the more authentic you can be to yourself, um, and to your, ultimately then in turn your company, the more successful you'll be. I think if you try and do something that doesn't feel right, uh, either with there's your own value system or what it is you're trying to achieve, then just trust that gut instinct and be authentic um, and be true and listen to that passion, as Mark is saying. And I think that's therein will lie your key to success. And if any of our listeners have an idea for a show, how do they get in touch with you? Absolutely. They should go again. It's Mark. Uh, go to either our website, um, connect at marblemedia.com is our email address, which will get to us because we look at all of the emails that come into connect at marblemedia.com. Follow us on social media at Marble Media, uh, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, and see what we're up to. And for sure, please reach out because we're always on the hunt for the next big idea and happy to connect. Right. Uh, true entrepreneurs, Mark Bishop and Matt Hornberg, co-CEOs, founders and executive producers for Marble Media in Toronto. Thank you so much for giving us a little glimpse into showbiz and reminding us that really it's all just business. And the more creative we can make it, uh, the more successful we're going to be and the more fun we're going to have. Thank you Thank so you much, Rick. This has been great. Thank you. We'll talk again. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence. <laughs>